God, we thank you. We just love coming to you, God, where we confess, where we proclaim that there is no other name by which we are saved, that there is a name that is above all names, a name that is sweeter than any other. God, we understand that kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but the name of Jesus, there is just something about that name, God. For in you we find healing, in you we find comfort. And so, God, we we thank you for another week. Another week to know you, another week to serve you, to live is Christ. And so God, we thank you that we have died and that our lives are now hidden in you. We thank you for the privilege it is to be called your sons and your daughters. God, we thank you for how you worked in the difficult situations that we face this week. Particularly, God, we we give thanks for the lives spared downtown. We ask that you would bring comfort to the families comfort to the friends. That you would continue to work in that situation, God, that that peace would come. God, we give you thanks for all the first responders. God, we know that this world is not as it should be. But God, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of a fallen and broken and sinful world, God, we know that you still sit on the throne and that you are here in our midst. You are present, especially in our time of need, in our time of help. God, you are there. God, we thank you that in your world, all is as it should be. God, I pray for the church that we would be as we should be. That we would know and understand who we have been called to be. The name that is placed over us, the name who has adopted us, that we would seek you and that we would find you. 
here, God. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this time. We welcome you in this place that you would have your way with us. May you be blessed, God. May our words be pleasing to your ear as we confess you and you alone. As we proclaim you and your lordship, God, may you work in us to be changed, to be like you. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. So uh, today we are beginning a new series. But before we get to that, I just want to ask, what is church? What is church? I understand it's many things to many people. And and some would say that church is a building or a location uh, where people gather. Others might say that it's an organization or an institution, one that has existed for a very long time. Still others might say, well, it's an event that you go to. Uh, Those same people might be like, we have in church up in here, right? So, So it would be something that you would go to. But the truth is that church can be a very difficult thing to describe sometimes, We're not really sure sometimes the words to use, and so we create all these analogies that would help us to describe the church. Some might say that church is like a school. Church is like a school. That that through the church we receive uh, religious education. Some might even use words like doctrine or say that people are indoctrinated through the church. Some might Uh, say, well, yes, there are definitely similarities to church. I mean, people are often grouped by age. The children over here, the the young adults over here, the adults here, the youth here, and so on. You can usually find curriculum and teachers. I mean, some people might say, well, you go there to learn stuff. So church is like a school. Some might say that church is like a club. There are regular meetings. There is a process for joining. Members are invited to do a lot of different activities, including service projects. They're invited to social gatherings. At church, as in a club, we we make friends, and we make it a hub for, uh, for social functions. Some people might make an argument that tithes could be seen as membership dues. Some might say that the more active you are, the greater chance you will be asked to take on a leadership role. So in some ways, they would say church is like a club. Some might describe church like a concert. They say it's an event that we go to. There is an auditorium. There are rows with seating. We have seen that before. There's a stage in the front. We know what that is. That is a concert. And depending on what the building looks like, there may be really dark lighting. There may be even stadium seating. But, hey, like a concert, there's probably clapping and singing, and we leave feeling uplifted. We leave feeling happy, good, satisfied, you name it. Some might describe church like a store or business, even. There's all these neighborhood mini-marts. 
There are these uh, larger department store type buildings where they are selling something. We're selling something to be consumed. We're selling a product. There's a helpful professional staff that is marketing to people, asking them to come and to partake. These consumers then will go back if they enjoyed the experience, if they find it worthwhile. If not, they'll find somewhere else to go. And the bigger the church, the more services you can provide. Still, some might say the church is like a hospital, a place where people go for healing. There are a variety of treatments and and things that can be prescribed, and many lives are saved. People are committed to compassionate service and the like. And still others might say that, well, it's something else. See, many times we take these cues, what we believe to be uh, the the right idea of what church is from pop culture or news. We, We have heard words like evangelical or moral majority. And we say that this is uh, what our culture says, and therefore this is right and good, and so the church should share in those values as well. Church may be often tied to a political platform or a political issue of some kind. Sometimes we form our ideas of what a church should be based on our past experiences, If we found a church experience to be too legalistic or too off-putting or or just uh, too too unsatisfactory, then we will look for something else. We want church to be accepting, affirming, tolerant, and unimposing. Still other times we form our ideas of church based on our personal expectations or opinions. This is what I like. This is how I am. This is how I am wired. This is how I'm gifted. And therefore, church should be exactly that. It is a place for me. Let me say this, that church uh, can be many of these things. Church can be many of these things. Many of these aspects are found in church. The the truth is that, that there's truth in many of these ideas. But they are incomplete. Because the church is unlike anything else in the world. The church is unlike anything else in the world. We can say this or that. We can say, man, a church is, is well, it's like, it's kind of like this, but it's kind of like, you know, it, have you ever seen, it's kind of like, and yet it's nothing like that. One thing I think we can all agree on is that God plays a central role in the church. God plays a central role in the church. People wouldn't go to church if they didn't believe in God. You can just stay at home and do that. So because God is involved, we have to look to him for the answer. We, we, we say, well, what did God have in mind when he created the church? What does he say that church is? And so today, we're beginning a new series called Ecclesia. Ecclesia, the the Greek word 
See, the New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek. And when you look for the word for church used, it's this word, ekklesia. The prefix, the prefix ek means out from. Klesia, a form of the word kaleo, which means to call. So ekklesia simply means called out. The church is the called out ones. We are the ones who have been called out. Simply put, church is people. Church is people. And when we read the Bible, the church is not a building. It is not an event. It is the people who are called out of the world and called to God. So today, today we're going to look uh, at this a little further. We're going to look at this a little deeper, and we're going to talk about the church being the people of God. What does that look like? So if you have your Bibles with you today, I want you to turn with me to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. I don't know the last time you were in the book of Titus. It actually exists. It's in there, I assure you. Uh, it is near the back of your Bible. Uh, so if you're going to turn there, it's at the back of the New Testament. We're going to Titus chapter 3. And again, if, uh, if you have a smartphone, you can feel free to use the YouVersion Bible app. All the notes and scriptures that we're using today can be found under the events tab there. But we're going to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 3. So uh, please follow along as I read aloud Titus 3, 3 through 8. Here it is. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Amen. See, the Apostle Paul is writing to his dear friend and brother in Christ, Titus. In chapter 1, Paul actually refers to Titus as his true son in our common faith. Paul loves Titus. They are apart and they're each serving the Lord separately. Uh, so Paul writes this letter to Titus to remind him of some things. Paul knows that it's easy to forget what church is. And so, in fact, he takes a whole letter here to describe the way things are, are to be, what church is supposed to be about. And so he spends a lot of time, Paul actually spends a lot of time writing letters to, to churches. We see him write a letter to the church in Colossae, Philippi, uh, Galatia, uh, Ephesus, Corinth, you name it. A great deal of the New Testament is written by Paul to churches or to people leading churches. Because Paul cares a great deal about what church looks like. And frankly, God cares a great deal as well. So Paul writes this letter to Titus, who is faithfully serving the church, and he wants to remind him of some serious truths. Some serious truths here. So, first, Paul wants Titus to remember that they have been called out of the world. 
They have been called out of the world. The church has been called out of the world. The people of God, the ecclesia, has been called out of the world. And not just Titus, not just Paul. The church has been called out. Take a look at verse 3. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul's like, remember where you came from. Remember how you used to live. You used to live just like everybody else. But you're not like everybody else. Not anymore. You have been called out of that. Verse 4 says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You were that. I was that. We were that. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We, but we're not that anymore. We're not that anymore. At least we're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be foolish. We're supposed to be wise. We, are, we have a relationship with the way, the truth, and the life. We know what the truth is. We're not supposed to be disobedient. We're supposed to be obedient. We're not supposed to be deceived, but we're supposed to be discerning through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to be slaves to our passions and pleasures, but God has set us free because of his own grace and mercy. See, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of God, you have been called out. 1 Peter chapter 2 Starting in verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. The ecclesia is to look holy and completely different than the rest of the world. We have been called out. These are the people who used to be dead but now are alive. The people who used to live in darkness but now have been called out of that darkness and are now living in the light. They used to be orphans, but now they have been adopted by the king. And they have all of the benefits and the pleasures of being part of the family of God. They have a loving father. They have brothers and sisters. That is who we are. We have been called out and called to God, and we are now a people. Notice how individualistic Peter makes this. Let's take a look at it. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Well, that's not individualistic at all. Yes, I am declared all of those things by God. We are declared those things. We are holy. We are royal. We are chosen. Yes, we are those things, but it's not about me. 
It's about the church. It's about the church. And, and so I'm not God's special possession, his special treasure, just me and myself or you and yourselves. It is we. We are those things. He's talking about the whole family of God. Many times people think that Christianity is this individual sport. This individual sport that we do. They're like, well, it's my relationship with God. It's between me and God. I don't, I don't even need to get out of bed on, on Sunday morning. I, I don't need to come to worship with others. I can worship God wherever I am. I can connect with God anywhere. And while some of that may be true, it's a relationship. It's a relationship, and you and I are ultimately responsible for our own relationship with God. So, so we can't deny that fact. Yes, some of that is on us as individuals. But we also can't deny the corporate element of all of this. God's intent was not for you or, to, or for I to know him individually as by ourselves alone and not needing anybody else. He called us out and to himself that we might be a family, the ecclesia, that our family might be filled with the spirit of God and that we might show off just how great he is he called us out of the world and to himself that we might be connected to others the universal church the people of God throughout the ages throughout church history we can look back we have a family that's our family history and yes he does love us individually he does that but when scripture talks about the saved when, he, when Scripture talks about the saved, it's always plural. We are the people of God. When Scripture talks about the beloved, it is the bride of Christ. It is us. It is we. God knows you and knows me. God knows you, loves, loves us personally. We personally reap the benefits. But the benefits belong to the collective. The benefits belong to the collective. The church gets saved. And so because of that, salvation doesn't belong to any one nationality. Salvation doesn't belong to any one ethnicity, any one race or gender or any denomination. The ecclesia, the God's chosen people, they are called out of the world and to him, and it is plural. The next thing we need to see is that the church has been called to be the representation of God. The church has been called to be the representation of God. See, we've talked before about being God's representatives in the world. We, we have talked before about this ministry of reconciliation that we have been called to, that God has given us a ministry and that we can uh, be God's representatives. But the church, the people of God, are called to actually be the representation of God. The representation of God. See, let's go back to Titus 3. Here's what it says. Near the end of verse 5, it says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We have been saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God has made us born 
God has made us born by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have been washed clean and we get a do-over. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why would he press the reset button on our lives? Because God doesn't want me to look like me. God doesn't want you to look like you. I mean, it's true. God doesn't want, God doesn't want me to look like me. I'm a mess. And God, God doesn't want uh, us to look like us. I mean, we look like death. All right? We look like death. At least we did until he showed up. We did until he showed up. And so, so uh, on the other hand, he looks like life. He looks like life because he is life. And so he finds dead people and he makes them alive. When God entered your life, when he entered my life, he didn't make our lives better. God, it wasn't like God is like, my life is pretty good, I add God, and suddenly, man, really kicked it up a notch for me. No, you were dead, and God comes in, God intervenes in your life, and he makes you alive. He makes us alive, he gives us life, and so he wants us to look like him. That's why he does all this. He, He restarts this spiritual clock all the way back to zero, The spiritual clock, the physical clock says, hey, I'm 36. The spiritual clock says, hey, I'm whatever age you are, you know. But uh, we are reborn, we are reborn so that we can look like him. We didn't before, but now we can. And so when people saw me before, all they saw was death. Now they can look at me and all they see is life. That can actually happen. All right? When people see this difference, they say, man, what's the difference? Well, I was dead, and now I'm alive. I looked like death before, but now you can see it on my face. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Colossians, Paul calls this Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, you and I have been crucified and we died to ourselves. How I looked, how I acted, how I talked, that old me is gone and the new is here now and we all are alive because he lives in us. The people of God. And because it's God who's calling the shots, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is renewing us, it's his power working in us. It's his power that is equipping us. And so that's what people should see. That's what people should see. They should see that we are the representation of Christ. We look like Christ. People should look at me and you and be like, that's Christ. I know it. My eyes see it. I know that that's Christ. They should hear our words and be like, man, that's exactly what God would say. I mean, you've heard this cliche before, right? You've heard that uh, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. I mean, how many of y'all have heard that before? That's a thing, yes, right? We heard that. Like, the truth is, is that when people come in contact with us, when people uh, see us, they should have a God moment, 
They should have a Holy Spirit encounter when they interact with you because the Holy Spirit resides in you and your life is hidden in Christ. And therefore, when they come in contact with you, they are coming in contact with God. They should be like, man, that is the weirdest thing. I thought I was talking to Mike, but what just happened? Like, I thought, man, it was like God was speaking to me. But it's not always like that, is it? See, all too often, people look at my life, and they look at your life. I think all too often, they can't see a difference. See, we look like everybody else. We talk like everybody else. We're involved in the same activities as everybody else. We believe the same things as everybody else. The church is supposed to be radically different from the world. But more often than not, when people look at the called out ones, they see people who are just like everybody else. 1 John chapter 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. As the called out ones, the ecclesia is to be the representation of Christ. We are to present Christ to the world. We are, we are to present Christ to the world. We are, we're not supposed to fall in love with the things that we find here. We are supposed to love Christ and to show him off, to show him as beautiful, as nothing better. There is nothing greater than our God and so the church, the believers, the people of God are supposed to show that. And in fact, the most loving thing that we can do is to present Christ to the world, to live radically different lives from the world, and to show off how great our God is. That is the most loving thing we can do. We convince ourselves that it's other things. We convince ourselves it's by doing this and this and this and by, by going to this and, and participating in that and whatever. No, no, the most loving thing we can do is to live radically different lives that people might say, man, that God, I want to follow that God. See, we are the representation of Christ. We are supposed to act like Christ and talk like Christ and, and look like Christ. And, and when we present a false picture of who he is, the world suffers. When we forget who he has called us to be, when we neglect the purpose to which he has called us, it is sin. And it hurts us. And it hurts others. And it hurts God. See, people living in darkness, they want a light. They want a light, and, and they, they just don't know it yet. People who are dead, they need life. They just, they just don't know that they need it. 
And so we, the church, are to show them a better way because that is what we are called to and because they don't know what they don't know. We are to show them a better way because that's what we're called to and they don't know what they don't know. And so the last thing I want us to see today is that the church is to be the light of the world. The church has been called to be the light of the world. Even though we have been called out of the darkness and set apart by God. He didn't put his spirit in us and equip us and empower us to look like Christ just to hide away. Just to hide away with other people who are spirit-filled, equipped, and empowered to look like Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The light of the world has placed his light in you and in me, the ecclesia. We are to let the light of Christ shine in us that people may know just by seeing us. Imagine what that might be like for somebody to, to look at you going about your daily, like you're, like you're in Walmart and like, man, people see you and they're like, man, like there is a God and he loves me. And I see that in you and I want that. Imagine what that might be like. Even though the church is the called out ones, we are called to return to the scene of the crime. We are called to return to the scene of a crime where we were once dead and lived hopeless lives. We return bringing light and bringing life and the hope of a better way. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says this, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. We are called to be torchbearers to take the light into every dark corner and every dark crevice of this world. The world is dark and hopeless, but not us. The church is the hope of the world, and we're bringing the light into the darkness. In many ways, the church, the people of God, the ecclesia, have not lived as they should. We hear all too often stories in the media of scandal and abuse and moral failings in the church. We hear from our friends and acquaintances of stories of hurt and scars at the hands of the people of God. But if the church would be different, how different we might find the world around us. 
If the church remembered that they are the called out ones and that they have been called out of the darkness, if the church remembered that they have been changed and that they are the representation of Christ on this earth, if the church remembered where they came from and that they have been changed for a purpose and that they courageously and compassionately can seek those who are still living in the darkness. Friends, it is time for the church to wake up. The church has fallen asleep in many ways. It's not how God intended we have neglected our first love and neglected to be the ecclesia. That's exactly what Satan wants, though. A church that is unaware of their calling, a church that is impotent and powerless against the world, a church that is distracted and neglecting the one who has called them out of darkness. God is saying, Wake up, you sleeping giant! Wake up! It's time to get up. Remember who you are. You belong to me. Fall in love with me again. I'm the God who made you and who loves you. I created you for this purpose. I called you out of darkness for this purpose. God is on the move. Let's wake up and join him. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your great love. God, that you would send your son to die, to sacrifice for us, that extravagant love we find nowhere else. That we don't have to clean up ourselves to be in your presence. You say to us, that's my job. You say, come to me, and I will make you clean. Come to me, and I will make you holy. Come to me, and I will make you mine. God, help us to see. Help us to see that we belong to you. Help us to see what we can be what the family of God has called to be. That we can show you off for how great you are. Because that was what we were meant to do. That we wouldn't show off ourselves. That we wouldn't seek to be in your presence because of our good works. But that, God, because we are in your presence, because your spirit has empowered us, we can go and take light into the darkness. God, help us to present you to everyone. Help us to love you, to know who we are, God, to help others see, help others know how you feel about them. God, we thank you for this awesome responsibility 
it is an honor to be called yours. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you that because the church exists, there is hope in the world. That your spirit living in each and every Christian around the world by your spirit your mission will be accomplished thank you God in Jesus name we pray amen right now we're going to enter into a time of response as the worship team leads us in a song I'd like to invite you to stand and, and respond as you will however God leads the altar is open for prayer I'll be down front if you'd like to talk but However God leads you to respond, let's do that during this time. Please stand with us as we sing.